Chapter 28 of The Boy Scouts on Sturgeon Island. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mad Guinea Pig. The Boy Scouts on Sturgeon Island by Herbert Carter. Chapter 28 Goodbye to Sturgeon Island. Conclusion. All sorts of loud cries and exclamations arose as the startled boys began to dodge the falling pieces of the blown-up boat. Thad, although almost stunned by the sudden catastrophe that had come upon them in spite of their vigilance, kept a bright outlook, for fear, lest the next thing they knew the poachers would come dashing among them, hoping to take advantage of the confusion to disarm them. But nothing of the sort occurred, and presently the six boys huddled there in a heap, trying to figure out what had happened, and why the three men had resorted to such desperate tactics rather than allowing the seeming soldiers to sail away in the morning and perhaps carry the news to some place where the authorities would be sure to fit out an expedition at once, looking to their capture. After a great deal of talk, and many odd ideas being advanced, which it would not profit us to mention here, they settled on what seemed to be the most plausible theory— this was that the three poachers, believing that they could not make use of their boat so long as the boys in uniform held the key, in the shape of the crank, had decided to blow it up. Their reason for this may have been that they would, in this way, compel the others to remain re marooned there on the island, and perhaps it was expected that another boat, with a fresh lot of poachers, would be along after a certain time. This was the nearest they could ever come to it, for they did not have a chance to make the personal acquaintance of the three hideout men, and therefore could not get information at first quarters. When the morning came, the scouts were not so merry as they had felt on the previous evening, when all things looked rather rosy. Still, it is difficult to keep some fellows moping all the time, and even Giraffe tried hard to look at the bright side, though he often complained that he had considerable difficulty in making up his mind which side that was. As long as the food supply held out, Giraffe was not going to give up to despair. Even if fish as a steady diet might pall on the ordinary appetite, Giraffe thought that he could stand the bill of fare for a week or two, if they had to stick it out that long. Fed kept them on the watch for some sort of vessel, steamer, sailing craft, whaleboat barge, or anything that would afford an asylum. If only they could by the greatest of good luck attract the attention of those on board. As the morning got pretty well along, the boys were beginning to feel downcast once more, when all at once Step Hen, who'd been using the glasses at the time, let out a joyous whoop. "'Would you believe it, fellows?' he cried. "'While we've been nearly breaking our necks looking to the east and south for a sail, why, here's a little buzzing motorboat coming along on the same track we carried, and ten chances to one now it's carrying our two good silver fox pards, Smithy and Bob White.' All of them had to take a look through the glasses, and the consensus of opinion seemed to trend that way, though at first some of the more dubious were inclined to fear that it might only be another poaching boat that was coming straight to the island to land a catch of illegally taken fish. "'Get busy right away and let them know where we are!' exclaimed Bumpus, all of a tremble with anxiety. "'Goodness gracious! Just think how we'd feel if they went speeding past old Sturgeon Island, never hearing us yell, because the breeze was wrong. Bang away with the gun, Thad, and make em look. Do something that'll stir things up. Wish I could let out a hoop that'd carry ten miles. 
You'd hear me spreading myself some, I tell ya. But all Bumpus's fears were useless, for those aboard the little motorboat that had really come all the way from the Sioux, starting earlier than Thad and his five companions, heard the combined shouts and signaled that they would head in without delay. "'Say, couldn't you hold up a little while and let me go back after a few more of those fine fish?' pleaded Giraffe, when the rescuing craft was drawing close, and when the scoutmaster shook his head in the negative, the tall member went on. "'You never know how much grub you need when on one of these here lake trips, with the chances in favor of something happening to knock the engine out. Besides, remember, there will be two more mouths to feed Thad, and sure, I could snatch up some of them fish in a jiffy. Say yes, won't you?' "'No need of it, Giraffe,' the other assured the lean scout. "'It's true that we'll have a couple more with us, "'but don't forget that they are expected to have a pretty good supply of food aboard as it is. "'Then, who wants to live on a fish diet?' "'And we'll get to a place right soon,' added Bumpus, "'where we can lay in all the stores we want.' "'Yes,' Step Hen thought fit to remark. "'And then, too, if we loaded down so much with too much fish, "'what's ever going to become of that game you and Bumpus are working?' We expect to have the table supplied right along now with the product of your combined skills as anglers. Oh, chuckled Giraffe, after all that, honey, I give up and agree to let things run as they are. But I want to warn the said Bumpus here and now that I'm camping on his trail, and from this time out, the fight is a-going to be just fierce. Bah, who's afraid, sang out the fat scout with a shrug of his shoulders. Everybody get their things together so we can climb aboard as soon as our comrades come close enough to shore. We may have to wait a little, for the landing places are few and far between, and we don't want to take any chances. Then I hope some kind friend will have the goodness to carry me on his back, because I sure hate to get my footsies soaked again, remarked Bumpus, unabashed. It turned out, however, that there was no need of this. The two boys in the motorboat knew how to manage, and brought the little vessel in close enough so that even clumsy Bumpus was able to clamber aboard, after handing up his possessions and Thad smiled when he saw that the other included among these the rusty crank belonging to the destroyed boat which the poachers had used in their illegal business. Evidently, romantic Bumpus meant to keep that as a reminder of his little adventure on Sturgeon Island. Smithy and Bob White were two of the Silver Fox Patrol, whom many readers may remember figuring largely in the previous books of this series of Boy Scout tales. They were instantly almost consumed with eagerness to know what had happened to maroon their chums on the island. But until they had passed some distance out, Thad would not attempt to relate the stirring circumstances. Luck, looky, they they are, a-shaking their fists after us, and I reckon they're letting out a few remarks that might burn our ears if we heard the same, which the breeze keeps us from doing, said Giraffe. As he spoke, he pointed to where the trio of lawless poachers stood on a rock near the other end of the island. That was the last they were fated to see of the men. Later on, they happened to enter a Canadian port in search of supplies, and of course, Thad made it an object to narrate their adventures to some person in authority. The boys heard afterward that an expedition was at once started out by the Canadian people, looking to the capture of the poacher crowd and the breaking up of their illegal business. But apparently, the other boat must have arrived before them, for while they found the ice pit, just as the boys had described it to them, the fish were all gone, nor did a search of the entire island reveal any sign of human occupation. Of course, it did not matter at all to Thad and his chums whether the three men were ever apprehended, as they did not expect to cruise in this region again, 
and consequently there was no chance of their ever meeting any of them again afterwards. They would never be apt to forget the strange things that had come to them, however, while marooned on Sturgeon Island, and often when they pored over the government charts that Thad kept, they could see again in memory many of those adventures looming up along the mental horizon of the wreck of the boat. The lively time they had gotten ashore, the discovery of the fish-packing cabin, the mysterious disappearance of Bumpus, how he was found again under such remarkable conditions, the blowing up of the poacher's boat, and last but not least, the opportune arrival of their mates with the other craft. No doubt many a time the very odor of fish would carry the thoughts of those boys away back to this period in their adventurous careers. Not that it marked the culmination of the good times fortune had in store for them, because before many months passed, a splendid chance was going to come along that would give the members of the Silver Fox Patrol an opportunity to enjoy another outing. This time, while the North, where their hometown lay, was swathed in snow and ice. The title of this next book will be The Boy Scouts Down in Dixie, or The Strange Secrets of Alligator Swamp. And the reader of this volume may rest assured that the adventures befalling Thad and his jolly mates Alan, Giraffe, Bumpus, Davy, Smithy, Step Hen, and the southern boy Bob White will afford them as rich a treat in the new story as anything that has preceded it. As to that wager between Giraffe and Bumpus, it kept dragging along during the balance of the cruise, sometimes one and then the other being ahead. But luck finally favored Giraffe, as on the very last day, with the score a tie, he happened to be trailing a stout line out when his hook became fast to the tail of a big fish that came near pulling him overboard before he succeeded in landing the same, after the engine was hurriedly stopped. After that, Bumpus threw up his hands and said he would wait on the crowd when they had their dinner upon arriving home, which he certainly did, and with such success that the boys voted he continue to accept tips in that vocation whenever they were in camp. Bumpus vigorously dissenting, of course. Thad learned later that the poor old Chippeway Bell was fully insured, and no word of complaint ever reached them after they had furnished the owner with all the evidence he needed in order to collect the amount. So there may have been a little truth in what several of the scouts hinted among themselves, that the sinking of the powerboat cleared the air and allowed the gentleman to replace her with a newer model. Blessings often come in disguise, Bumpus says, as he looks up at that rusty crank, tied with a red bow of ribbon, hanging from the wall of his den at home, and then feeling his head to ascertain whether that lump was fully subsided. He is apt to go on to remark that sometimes they even drop down from trees and give a fellow the queerest kind of thump, for if he had not conceived that little plan of hiding a part of the machinery belonging to the poacher's boat, things might have turned out vastly different from what they did. The end. End of chapter 28. End of The Boy Scouts on Sturgeon Island by Herbert Carter.